welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Oh, somebody's coming over to you. Can I sing with you? Sure you can. Yes. Do you know any Alicia Keys? Yes, I How about do. New York? Now we're in New York. These streets will make you feel brand new. These streets will inspire you. Oh, we're in New York. Welcome to New York at Times Square. Do you know which president was on the $1 bill? Oh! Oh, the $1? It's George Washington. George Washington. George Washington. George Washington. Correct. Do you know which president this is on the $1 bill? Oh, yes, I do. If you name it, you can keep it. That, that's silly. You can keep it. That's silly. No, it's not silly. Who is that man? It's George Washington. That's yours. Thank you. Who's that man right there? That would be Abraham Lincoln. Well done. I want you to keep this one too. And I want you to name that man right there. Benjamin Franklin. Well done. That was that was very good that you you got that one. Very good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You guys. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I gotta be careful doing that, but it's like, you know. <laughs> Ma'am, do you speak English? Where are you from? Japan. Japan. What brings you to New York? Airplane. Oh. Why are you visiting? If I gave you a bunch of money, would you be happy? Yes. Would you say that money can buy you happiness? No. But you'd be happy if I gave you more money. Can money buy you happiness? What if I were to give you like a million dollars? Would that make you happy? I don't think so because money does not necessarily buy happiness. This but is I will tell you. Such a cliche answer. No, no, no. If somebody hand you a million dollars, you'd be happy. No, I would, <laughs> I would not. Be... Do you think money is the root of all evil? I think money is a necessary evil, but I think if you focus too much on money, I mean it's not good. I believe money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil, right? So it's all about the heart, right? Come on, come on, baby. Come on, baby. What's up, baby? We're all in this together, all of us. We're dancers, we're dancers, baby. We dance. Here we are on Fifth Avenue. Would you say America is very materialistic? Look at this. This is the, the, the symbol of materialism. And I think I'm a good mom and yeah. I, I teach them not to be materialistic. So we are all trapped, you know? Yeah. Very nice vehicle, sir. Very nice. Very nice car. Wow. Uh, let's hear it for Nick in New York. Oh, man, that lady said, we're all trapped. 
We're all trapped in materialism. We're all trapped in this. And I got to thinking, are we really, are we trapped? Are we stuck here? And uh, I was watching this and I was watching the video and I saw her walking with that American girl bag. And I'm like, no, we're not trapped in materialism. I would never need that. And then that car went by and I'm like, wow. We're all trapped. We're all trapped. And we're going to talk about this, about materialism and coveting. And as we wrap up this series called Liquid and we look at money, uh, this is just one of those ones that hits us. And uh, I know that our campus pastors were telling me, I get a report from them every week. And they said, you know, uh, people weren't as loud on this service. They weren't amening as much. They weren't into it. And I said, well, for a lot of people, God is doing surgery. And when people are having surgery done, they don't jump around much. They just kind of stay there. And trust me, God's doing something. This is where we live. This is something that hits us. And... Um, we talked in week one about tithing for a lot of people in the, the chairs. We talked about the four chairs of maturity. For those that are in the, the first couple of chairs, that tithing, that is a huge deal. And when you start to bring 10% to the local church and you trust God and you say, you're my source, you're number one, um, for you, week one was huge for you. And it's interesting, after week one, I get all sorts of high fives from people. All the tithers come up like, come on, preach it, that's good, yeah, that's awesome. And all the people that are new to the church are kind of like, whoa. All right, and I could tell. So week one, we talked about that. And um, if you're trying to get your finances in order, we also give all sorts of help for you because we know that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, many of us have our money way, way, it's just in a huge mess. And so we offer a, a ministry called Financial Peace University, and we'd love for you to sign up. There's 10 life groups that are uh, starting, and we want you to sign up. But that was really week one was for those that are new, those that are trying to figure it out, those are, that are new on the journey. Then we talked last week about being generous, and specifically we talked about kingdom builders and being generous, and for a lot of people, uh, I get high fives on that week too, uh, not as many as the week before, but I get people that come up, oh, that was good, generous, and, and I start to get more people that are like, ooh, kind of hits me and everything, and then um, this next week today, this is going to hit you even more if you're in that maturity chair, if you've counted yourself a mature Christian, if you said, I, I'm a tither, I'm a giver, I do this, this is one that could hit you because this is where we live. And uh, there's so much I wish I could even preach for a, a couple of weeks because this is really something that we struggle with. And uh, we're going to do a bonus sermon. So if you didn't know that, uh, info at rivervalley.org, send, send us your questions on giving and we will do a bonus sermon on video, put it in the series, and let you know. But there's so much here because it just hits us. And one thing from the generosity sermon that I've just got to share, it just was the aha moment for all of us. The reason we can be so generous is because our Heavenly Father is taking care of us. And if we really trust Him, if you know that illustration from the, the sermon last week, we really know that our Heavenly Father is taking care of us so we can be generous. When He says give, when He says to do it, we can trust Him because he's taking care of us. And so as we move forward, this is one that'll hit you. It's hitting me um, because it deals with materialism. It deals with coveting. It deals with us being trapped. And um, if I was to ask you, are you materialistic? Most of us in church would say, no, no, we're not materialistic. We're not trapped. Um, you might even quote a scripture. You might even go to Matthew 16, uh, 26, like, what good would it uh, be for someone to gain the whole world and lose their soul? Uh, what would you give in exchange for your soul? You might be really spiritual, but a lot of us are really materialistic. It's, it's a struggle that we have. It's something that we fight against every day, the voice of mammon speaking into our life and telling us to do different things with the money that God's entrusted us with. 
And materialism is just, a, it's a preoccupation or a stress upon material things rather than spiritual things. You're just stressing about material things and you're stressed out and, and, and you're occupied with it all the time and you're driven by that and you think that'll make you happy instead of the spiritual things. And so the material things just consume so much of your thinking. And I believe that we really do have a problem. I really do that, believe that I struggle with it, that we all just kind of battle because where we live and what we have and how blessed we are, this is something that's a struggle. Um, I was reading Matthew chapter 6, and a very familiar scripture, and God just kind of spoke to me a different way about it. Because Matthew chapter 6, uh, Jesus is preaching and he's saying, don't worry. He's like, don't stress out about what you'll eat. Don't stress out about what you'll drink. Don't stress about what you'll wear. And I've always read that as, you know, people that didn't have something to eat, didn't have something to drink, didn't have something to wear. And as I was doing this series, I read that scripture again, and all of a sudden God said, you're stressing out as rich people with those very same things. And I was like, what do you mean? How many of you can identify with this at lunch? You're like, it's so stressful. Where are we going? Which restaurant? We have so many options. Somebody decide. You know, come on, this is stressing me out. And, and think about it. You're stressing about what to eat and you're so rich, you don't know which choice you're going to choose. When it comes to water, what you're going to drink or what beverage, what beverage? Well, what do you have? I have this and this and this. And you're like, well, I don't know. Do I want water? Do I want it with still? Or do I want it with gas? Do I want lemon with that? Do I want diet? Do I want this? And we're stressing from an affluence level about these things and wasting times. Some of you are like, this is humorous. I'm glad God convicted you. All right, you know. <laughs> Even about what we wear. Some of us are like, well, what's the fashion? What's the label? What's the thing? What are people wearing? Can I afford that? Can I buy that? Can I get that? And we're stressing and we're preoccupied with all these things. They're preoccupied in the Bible times from a position of want. We're preoccupied from a position of blessing. This one hits us and um, we really are rich. We really are affluent. And I just want to be very clear it's okay to have money. It is okay to have money. The, the Bible is not opposed to people having money. The Bible is not opposed to people being blessed. It is okay to be rich. It is okay to have great resources. It is okay to invent things and, 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 and reap the rewards of that. It's okay. The Bible condemns the love of money. We all need money. Money, uh, we receive the money in tithes and offerings. And I want to let you know, I'm not ashamed to say this, I pray blessing over your companies. When I find out where somebody works, I pray blessing on that company. When I find out you own a company, I pray blessing for it. I'm praying that you'll invent things, that you'll be generous when, when these things come your way and when God blesses you. But I, I feel like it's good for us to pray for that and say, God, help these businesses to grow. Help these things. And we're not opposed to this, but we want you to understand you need to have it in control. You need to have it not controlling you. You know, the, I want you to be like Isaiah 32.8, like we said last week, to be generous and rich and dream up ways to give. So we're not opposed. Some people say, like, are you mad at rich people? No, I'm living in the tension with you, being some of the global richest 1% of the world. Because we are the richest 1% of the entire world. You may not be in the richest 1%. I may not be in the richest 1% of America, but I'm in the richest 1% of the world, and I'm living in this tension of being someone that has so much, but I'm not opposed to people having money. Matter of fact, the Bible talks very clearly about three ladies. Three ladies in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. I won't go into it. But there's three ladies that are listed that support the ministry of Jesus and the disciples. If you wondered if Jesus just appeared with money and like he's like, okay, today, today disciples, go fishing. We need more money. You know, it happened once, okay? 
What he did is he used people that had great means, and it even talks about people and the wealth. One of the ladies actually controlled some serious assets, and the Bible says that she gave to his ministry and supported the disciples. So it's okay to take what you have and use it for God's glory, but we're going to battle. We're going to battle mammon. We're going to battle materialism, and I want you to win. And here's the, the sad thing. The sad thing is, Somebody can be a follower of Jesus Christ, love him, give their life to Jesus Christ, and then be seduced by money, be seduced by materialism, be seduced by coveting, and really miss out on all sorts of blessings. You can just be lulled into it and sucked into it. That's why Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And you'd think that we're in a race to see how much we can accumulate. And he's saying, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Not just one, there's multiple t- kinds that are, that are coming after us. And it's an interesting thing. Church leaders and pastors have discovered this throughout the years that wherever Christianity goes in a free society, people tend to prosper when they follow the things of God. Now, when you're in a communist country or a religiously restricted country, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, many of them go down in in affluence. I can remember being in India, and I was there, and we were praying, and I was praying with the missionary, and he said, you got to pray today. This guy is in the highest caste system. If he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, he will lose everything because of this society. Now, in our society, and again, throughout the world, wherever it's been freedom, they've noticed when people start obeying things, they start tithing, they start honoring God, they live godly, they don't waste their money on other things that the world chases after, there's some blessing that can happen, and it starts to percolate, and the church starts to have more resources. John Wesley said this years ago about Christianity. He says, wherever Christianity goes, it brings diligence and frugality that beget riches, But riches naturally beget pride, love of the world, and every temper that is destructive to Christianity. So he's saying, here we are, we're following God, we're doing his biblical principles, and all of a sudden you're you're basically living the financial peace university, and you have the emergency fund, and you're tithing, and you're doing the things right, and all of a sudden it starts to lead to things. You no longer show up hungover at work, and you show up working hard, and you're the best employee, and you're getting promoted, and things are happening. And he's saying, but you know what? If all this starts to happen, don't let the riches come down on you and build up pride in you and all the things that will destroy all the good that God's doing in you. But he went on to say, there must be a way to fight it, and there is. There is, and that's why the Bible gives us all sorts of warnings. So we got to hear the warnings today. We got to say, God, we're listening. We're listening loud and clear. We we get it. Hosea thirteen six was a a warning. God's upset, and He says, "When I fed them, they were satisfied, and when they were satisfied, they became proud, and then they forgot me." It's just a theme over and over again that God takes care of us. And then we forget that God's taking care of us, and it's God, the Bible says, who gives us the ability to earn wealth, and we start thinking we're pretty good, that we're pretty great, and then we start keeping more and more and more of it for ourselves, and we start thinking about what we can do with all the money that we have. When we get blessed, let's not forget the blesser. When we get blessed, let's not forget the blesser, and let's remember where every blessing comes from. And the sad thing is, if you study churches, the poorer a church is, the poorer the people are, the more generous they'll be. If you go to the deep south and you look at some of the congregations that have very low incomes, those people will be exceptionally generous towards the things of God. And it seems that the richer people get, 
the stingier they get towards the church. I'm not even just talking percentage-wise. It's like people that have hundreds in their pockets wish like they could give that they had thousands of dollars, and then people that have thousands are sad that they give hundreds. It's just an amazing thing that happens. And all that is is the battle of materialism. It's the battle of coveting. It's the battle of forgetting who brings us our blessings. And so if we're going to live in the world's richest 1%, let's battle materialism. Let's battle against it. Let's battle against coveting and wanting what isn't ours. In Proverbs chapter 30, again, another scripture where it says, um, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I mean, think about it. This guy in Proverbs is actually praying like, God, keep me in the middle class. Keep me in the middle. I don't want to be too poor. I don't want to be too rich. I just want to be right in the middle of the middle class. But how many know that the middle class has challenges? It does. Middle class has challenges and we're right, could be right in the middle of it. All of a sudden you're thinking about what you don't have and what you could get and what you want. Matter of fact, I was talking to a, a high school security guy. I was talking to him. I said, what is the number one problem in our area? You know, I said, what in the high school, what are you guys seeing? What's the number one problem in the high school? And I was expecting him to say drugs or something. And he goes, theft. Theft, 10 to 1, theft. For every other thing that we talk about, theft is the number one thing. People are stealing stuff. If you leave it around, they take it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. You know, we have, you know, poor people and rich people and everybody in the school and probably the the poor people are taking. He goes, no, no, no. No, it's the just under the rich that are stealing everything. He said the ones that want it all, the ones that have already a lot, he said they just, they can't stand it. They don't have exactly what somebody else has, and so they'll take it. They'll steal it. And he said, you'd be surprised. People that have so much are stealing because they want more, so the middle class has its own problems. We're not exempt. And we need to pass the test wherever we are, poor, rich, middle class, and we need to, we need to pass these tests. There's more warnings. There's a great one in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. The writer of Hebrews says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we love that last part. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But the first part he's saying, hey, let your conduct, let everything you do be free from being, you know, full of covetousness. Don't covet things. And what does it mean? Covet means to yearn with an intense feeling to possess or have something. It means you want something that's not yours and you're thinking about it and you're, you're, you're just wishing that you could have it. And you'd say, it's not me. That's not me. Matter of fact, it's crazy. It's one of the 10 commandments. Think about it. Thou shalt not covet And yet I would guarantee you that the church is full of people that have never repented of coveting. Think about it. When was the last time you just said, God, I am so sorry for coveting what isn't mine. That car drove by and I just wanted it. That, I mean, I had to repent the first time I saw that video. I mean, and it's like, and yet we have a church like, oh, never. I would never covet. I just, I'm so happy. It's one of the big 10. And it's the only one that, think about it, that deals with our thinking. So it's not even something that we have to see you do, 
but it's going on in your mind. Think about it. God says, don't steal. You have to take something to steal. He says, don't commit adultery. You have to go and do that to do it. He says, honor your parents. You have to give honor. He says, don't work on the Sabbath. That's the, these are dues. And this is the only one of the 10 commandments that he's like, don't covet. It's in our mind. And we so rarely repent of it. And yet we do it all the time. And yet we say, no, 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 I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. Our, our mouth betrays us. Our mouth betrays us. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And I believe that our mouth betrays us that we really battle uh, with coveting, and yet we don't even realize it. It's so subtle. We are so sucked into this materialistic world and everybody's coveting that we don't even realize this. And I found this great list that a pastor put together from this text in, in uh, Hebrews 13. And he said, some of the things that can show you that your mouth is betraying you, that you're coveting, is that you complain all the time. How many know you complain, complain about what you don't have and you can, well, I don't have that. I mean, yeah, they've got it, you know, cake eater. They, yeah, they got it. It's all that. And how many know that even when you're blessed, you can complain about what you have? Well, it's old. It's junky. I mean, yeah, I know it's an SUV, but it's not an Escalade, you know, but, you know. How many know that's really coveting that's just coming out of your mouth? It's just a way to reveal what's going on in your heart. I, I can remember we were talking with this one lady and she had this beautiful purse and it was, you know, a very expensive purse. And I said, oh, nice purse. She's like, oh, pff, it's an entry-level purse. It's just junk. And I'm thinking like, that's like a month's income. And all that was revealing is that inside there was somebody that had a nicer purse than hers and she wasn't happy. That's what's happening. It oozes out of us. Even if we had more, we'd still complain. And if you're complaining and you're cutting down what you have, you probably have coveting in your heart and you need to repent. If you fault find all the time, anytime somebody has something good happen or they hit a windfall or they do something good in life and you just cut it down, you're like, oh, that's, you know, they got a lucky break and, you know, they had that happen and that's no good. If you're always cutting down, that's probably because you're coveting what they want. It's sad. As a church, I used to, and as a pastor, we used to covet the other things that other churches had. And I can remember seeing large churches, and I'd be like, oh, look at them with their growth and everything. I bet you they're watering down the gospel, you know, and, you know, sure, they led thousands to the Lord, but how many of them will stick, you know? I mean, come on, we have a better retention rate around here. And the guy's like, seriously? It's sad. It's sad. It's so sad that coveting can move into that, even to the church. You want a real good confession? How would you like it if the president of the United States is talking about churches that are doing great, and in the State of the Union address, he mentions your roommate from Bible college? That happened to me. I'm driving down the road, and I'm listening to the State of the Union, and all of a sudden, President Bush is like, well, we just want to say the great things that this guy that's going on at his church. And I'm like, Argh! I almost pulled my car in the ditch. He just mentioned my roommate and saying that my roommate's church is doing amazing. Here's the first thought that came into my mind. Well, that's a lucky break. Those people just joined his church. I can't believe the president named him. Why don't we have a ministry like that so we could be? And all of a sudden, I'm like, listen to you. God's like, boy, you got a long way to go, young man. And then I had to repent. Like, think about that. I'm coveting and envious, and I'm wanting that ministry to be at our church for all the wrong reasons. Then when God 
dealt with me. Then I called him up. Man, amazing. It took me three hours to get through to him. I was like, everybody and their brother was calling, like, hey, we're just matching by the president. If you're fault-finding all the time, it probably means you're coveting and you want what other people have. If fear always comes out of your mouth when God challenges you to give or the church is talking about giving, going over and above and really going for it, and fear comes out of you, like, well, you know, I don't know, we've got a lot of things and there's things coming up and, you know, we've got these things and bills and you've got to save for a rainy day, you've got to be careful, it's probably because there's a seed of coveting in there. A lot of us are like, well, it's prudent to save. Yeah, but you are not saving for a rainy day. You're saving for a rainy decade, okay? And if when God says, would you give this? You're like, well, I don't know. You never can be too sure. I can remember one financial planner, he was saying that he's talking to this couple and he said, you know, like, hey, would you want to give the charity? They're like, well, we don't know. And he's like, you have millions of dollars. You are like old. And even if you lived another 30 years, which would be like a record, you could give away hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. Whose life do you want to change? You're like, well, we just never know. You just never know. That's, that's a spirit of materialism and coveting and fear. And God's like, you got to fight against that. you got to fight against that. It just rears its ugly head. If you're cheap, if you're cheap, we give it a nice name. We say you're prudent, you're thrifty, you're conservative, you're Minnesotan, you know. Uh, <laughs> man, if you are cheap, you just might have a, a spirit of coveting in your heart and a spirit, a spirit of materialism, and you, you just, you're guarding it and you play it really well, but it's there and it's ugly. It's got to come out. If we're going to fight to win, the Apostle Paul gives us a, another scripture about this. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, he says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in what. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And it's interesting. We love that last verse. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But he's talking about learning how to be content. That you can learn to be content, meaning that my happiness is not dependent on anything outside of me. If I've got God in me, I am content. I'm happy. Whether I'm rich, whether I'm poor, it's on the inside. I enjoy everything that God has given to me. I am going to stop complaining. And it's interesting, Paul writes this way, way, way late in life. He's about ready to die. And he's like, I've learned it. I've learned it. And I'm thinking, if he was old when he learned it, you know, we need to learn it too. We need to struggle through this. We need to be saying, God, I, I want to work through this and I want to learn how to be content because here's what we're saying. We're saying, saying Jesus plus anything is okay. Jesus plus nothing is okay. Wherever Jesus has me is okay. Rich, poor, middle, Jesus plus nothing and I'm fine because I have the only thing that matters. Matter of fact, when I was studying for this, I wrote in my notes, I said, I wouldn't trade places with the richest man on earth that didn't know Jesus because I have everything I need and he has everything he's missing. He has, he's missing it all. And God was like, that's really good in your sermon. He goes, would you trade place with the richest man on the earth that's a Christian? And I was like, yes. And he's like, okay, we still have more work to do. All right, keep going. <laughs> We have to learn to be content. And wherever God has you, that's learning to be content. Wherever God has you and wherever he's placing you, rich or poor, that he's saying, hey, I've got this under control. I know what I'm doing. Where you are is a good spot for you to be. And I will trust you, God. 
And to break the gravitational pull of materialism, I think there's another thing. We talked a little bit about it last week. Being generous. Giving generously will break the pull of materialism. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19, the Apostle Paul is talking to young Timothy, and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You're saying being generous. I'm saying when you're generous, when Paul's saying, tell those guys they need to be generous, and if they'll do that, it'll break the gravitational pull that wants to pull them towards pride, that wants to pull them towards self-sufficiency, that wants to pull them down a street that's destructive. Tell them to be generous, and as they're generous, it's going to break them out of that. It's going to break them out of this, and it's going to wake them up so they won't get sucked in with the the pull of materialism. I'll just be very transparent. Uh, Becca and I just uh, are praying about, God, how much more do you want us to give? We don't want to get sucked into this. We don't want to go down that road. And I struggle with every purchase right now because as God has blessed us throughout the years, uh, we have a, a stronger buying power, a stronger purchasing power. We've done the biblical principles. We've, got, we've, we've eliminated debt. We have no credit card debt. We've done that. We have a savings account. We do these things. We give generous. And as we do this, it feels like more keeps coming. And so you have the ability with disposable income to buy things. And the thing that I struggle with is I don't want the world to think I love here more than I love there. And sometimes when I buy things, I'm like, oh, I really wanted that. I really want to enjoy that. But then I think, well, that sent the wrong message. And then I'm like, but I bought it on Craigslist and I got a really good deal. And I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm struggling through these things, you know? To let you know, like, I am like the Minnesota, Minnesota shopping guy. I go to the discount store, to the discount store, to the clearance rack of the discount store, and I still go, not cheap enough. I mean, but then I'll find some treasures, and then I'll think, but what if I wear that? What if I do that? What if I do that? I don't want anyone to think I love here more than I love there. So we struggle with this. Beck and I have tried to fight the struggle and the pull of materialism by increasing our giving and increasing percentage-wise. We just set an income amount, and then we said, God, from here on in, we're given 20% more of every dollar. From here on in, we're given 30% of every dollar. And I feel like God's like saying, all right, just keep going and doing this and, and don't let that thing suck you down that road. But it's still a tension that's going on. C.S. Lewis said, how much should you give? Because for each of us, it's different. For each of us, it's different. Some of you are like still like blown away, like tithing. That's still like, whoa, that was your message. This is for a lot of mature people. C.S. Lewis said this, how much is enough? He said, you should give enough that you can't do all the things you want to do. Wow. You should give enough that you can't do all the things you want to do, that you actually say no to things because you're giving more to the things of God. That's a lot. That's a lot. I think we should be generous and let God speak to us and not look like we love here too much. I think we should never buy anything that would prohibit us from being generous. One of the filters we use is never buy anything that will not allow us to be generous. Don't do it. Stay in line and be generous. We give enough um, that it wakes us up. It wakes us up. What do I mean by that? Again, for those of you that are tithing, for those of you that are already giving, you've high-fived me the last couple weeks. This is your sermon, all right? This is surgery going on right now. But what if we give enough to wake us up? What if we've become dull in our giving 
and we're just cruising along like on a road trip and you're driving and it's, you're driving and the car is warm and you're getting a little sleepy and there's no, how many can identify right now? You're like, yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, I need to shake this up. How many know that after coffee, you've had the coffee, you've tried some caffeine, you still can't wake up. How many know the next blast is like cold air? So down go the windows, in comes the cold air. Everyone in the car wakes up in fear. Wah! You're like, I was just getting a little sleepy. I needed some cold air. And you can freeze yourself out and it's enough to get you like thinking again. What if you give enough that it shocks you? What if God's calling us to give enough that it shocks us again and wakes us up because we've lulled ourselves into systematic giving and yet the pull of materialism and he keeps blessing us and this is growing instead of our giving and he says, why don't you give enough to shock your system now? It's where I feel I'm living. It's where I feel many of us are living. We are the global richest 1%. And maybe God needs to shock us a little bit so we'll break this pull of materialism. We'll break the coveting that is on us. We'll repent of it more often. And we'll say, God, I love you more than anything here. Let's not be self-centered. Let's not be affluent. Let's not be indifferent in just a way that says, I won't leverage this for the kingdom of God. Let's be rich on every opportunity and say, God, I care about the world. I care about the world. I care about your gospel. I care about your church. I care about this. And I want to just keep going and going and going. I don't want to be sucked into this. I want to be on guard against every type of greed. Speak to me. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, listen to the whispers. Listen to the whispers and just say, yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. So Lord, I pray right now that you'd help us. Help us as we fight the gravitational pull of materialism. The lady in the video said, we're trapped, but we don't have to be trapped. You offer a way out. You said we could learn to be content. We could learn to love where we're at. We could learn. We, we can jumpstart it by giving and putting our treasure in heaven and saying, God, we invest there more than here, and our heart will follow after that. But God, we are not going to stay trapped in a world that is sucked into materialism, sucked into coveting, and not celebrating what others have. But God, we're going to say, we will follow you. We'll give. We'll be generous. You can wake us up. You can shake us up. Help us to use what we have to advance your cause. So again, I pray for those that are mature that say, this is me. God, help us to be stretched and to never stop growing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen.